Yeah, you know, you look out there at that snow, everything's just so white now, and it reminds me of the fact the Bible says that's how God sees our sin, through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Though your iniquities, though your sins be, be as red as snow or, or red as blood, that should be white as snow. How about that? Isn't that good news? All right, well, listen, first off, uh, just let me go ahead and just say today would be a good day to talk about the, uh, the worship event in the Bible app. And so if you've got an Android phone or an iPhone, if you're listening on the radio at home, it's also good for you. If you'll open that Bible app and look down in the more corner, down the bottom of, the, of your screen, where it says more, click on that, you'll see events. And you open there, and you're going to find the entire sermon notes for today's message. So hopefully we have a larger audience listening on the radio today, and just you can do that right there. And every week, by the way, and if you hit save, it'll be there forever. Forever. If you don't save it, it disappears at 12.15 today. But if you save it, so if you're planning on listening to the message online later, if you hit save, it'll be there for you. And uh, so I hope you'll be willing to do that. Look at that. It really helps the message flow. And also, it's usually available about Thursday, which means you can start opening that. And you can look at it and go, oh, let me study what Brother Wayne's going to be talking about on Sunday. So it's a good thing. Hope you'll be doing that. All right? So very good. So today, today is our final message in our series called uh, Right on the Money, and it's called Lucky for Life. Lucky for Life. We want to talk about, you know, do we live like we believe in God, or do we live like we believe um, in luck? So let me tell you a story to start off with. Um, many of you remember, of course, Johnny Carson, uh, who was on TV forever. I never stayed up and watched him because I was always an early, you know, early to bed kind of person. But anyway, Johnny Carson was on forever, and he was on NBC on the Tonight Show. And he, this is true, that he read a advertisement from a Midwestern newspaper, and here's what it said: "Lost dog, brown fur." Though some missing due to mange, blind in one eye, deaf, lame leg due to accident with car, slightly arthritic, goes by the name of Lucky. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And then there's a song by Ray Charles from a long time ago. And all y'all go, who is Ray Charles? Well, he's one of those good old singers, okay? And he sang a song about luck, and it says this. Um, Cutting into the middle of the song. That's why I say, if everybody went to heaven, I believe I'd miss the call. But you see, if it wasn't for bad luck, I'm trying to tell you, son, if it wasn't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. So poor Lucky the dog struggled. Ray Charles is saying he struggled. But then you got people like this. We all, well, if you watch the news, you saw it. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, a guy from West Frankfurt decides to play the lottery, not endorsing that at all. In fact, you'll see definitely I'm not. But anyway, so, you know, he put down 20 bucks and won $2 million, $2 million. And you go, sounds like a retirement plan to me. Not, not, okay. But, but you would say that and go, oh, you know what? He got lucky. Maybe I would get lucky too. Well, listen to this. I didn't remember this, but in 2017, in 2017, um, a guy from uh, West Frankfurt, was it? I think it was West Frankfurt. Yeah, I think it was West Frankfurt, um, won $11 million. Oh, he's from Benton. $11 million. And you go, wow, well, you know, maybe I should pay the, you know, play the lottery. Maybe I would get lucky too. Okay? Now, about now, all you spiritual people are rightfully saying, Wait a minute, wait a minute. We don't believe in luck. We believe in God. That's what we're putting, you know, if we're on tune today, you know, with God, that's what we're saying. We don't believe in luck. 
we believe in God. Well, here's my deal. My deal is, if that's true, if we say we don't believe in luck, we believe in God, then we should live that way. Across all the different areas of our lives, we should live like we believe in God. You know, it's just wonderful scripture. I, I just love it. You know, it's, it's Psalm, one, uh, Psalm 14, 1. I love it because it says, you know, the fool says in his heart, there's no God. I've taught this to you lots of times. The fool says in his heart uh, that, that there is no God. You know, and, and again, is the, the, and if you look in your Bible, a lot of times there are certain words that are italicized. And what that means is they're not in the original language. That words were added for the sake of the English to make it flow better. And so in, in authenticity, the translation of that, you know, the fool says in heart, there's no God. It really translates the fool says in his heart, no God. No God. And, 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 you know, and that changes the meaning a little bit. And yes, it means the fool, the atheist says there's no God, and that's a foolish thing. But it's also another foolish thing. Is that it's called practical atheism. A man who doesn't believe in God, a woman who doesn't believe in God, is called an atheist. But there's also something called practical atheism. And that is this. With, our, with, with our, a chunk of our life and with our mouth, we say, oh, we believe in God. But then there's always certain areas, or maybe entirely, we live as if he doesn't exist. Hence, practical atheism. Practical atheism. Well, again, just like we say we don't believe in luck, we believe in God, then we really ought to live that way and not throw our future, not cast our future, not cast away we do life as if we believed in luck. You know, Jesus said something that's pretty amazing in Luke chapter uh, 16, verse 8, the second part. Luke chapter 16, uh, verse 8, the second part. This is the New Living Translation. It does a really good job of putting across the meaning of what Jesus says. And here's what he says. It is true. Now, when Jesus says it's true, that means it is true. Okay? All right. It is true that the children of this world, the people of this world, are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of life. It is true that the people, the children of this world, are, are more shrewd at dealing with the world around them than the people of light. And what he's saying is this. He's saying people who don't believe in me, people who don't believe in God, do a better job of accomplishing their purposes than do the children of light who do believe in me. Now, the lost world looks at money and says, uh, get all you can, spend it, enjoy it, live for yourself. It's me, it's me, it's me. And they do a really good job at that. But Jesus is saying, the ones who follow me and, and know my teachings about wealth being a tool, they don't do very well. A lost person does a better job at accomplishing their purposes with money than people who believe in Jesus, and they don't do that good of a job. The world is outperforming us. So what we want to do is, we'll look at two scriptures today, and they are just incredible scriptures. Um, the first one is 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verses 16 through 19, okay? And that, of course, is written by Paul. And Timothy was a young pastor. And so Paul is telling Timothy, hey, listen, these rich people, they need some help, okay? It's not, it's easier to be poor than rich, okay? So, so we need to help them be rich. And so these verses are directed at, I mean, I'm not stretching this, it's exactly what it is, okay? So, so Paul is saying to Timothy, you've got to help these rich people to be rich, okay? So that's, that's what he teaches about. And the second one, though, is way back in Deuteronomy and chapter 8. And it's written right before the Israelites win the lottery. Did you know the Israelites won the lottery? 
Oh, yeah, they did. They did. Well, spiritually speaking, anyway. So what's going to happen is, after they get done wandering around the desert forever, okay, for 40 years, okay, they're going to go into the promised land. And, and it's going to be different. They've gone from 40 years of living in the desert and moving around and living in tents and not having a whole lot to eat. They had plenty to eat because God provided it, but it was the same thing. It was manna, 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 manna. And so something's about to happen. They're going into the promised land, and they're going to win the lottery. I mean, they're going to have all kinds of good food to eat. Um, They're going to have buildings to live in, not tents, buildings. They're going to have cattle and and oxen and all that because they're going to take it from the ones they defeat, okay? They're going to have silver and gold like they never had before. They literally going to win the lottery. And God knew that that was going to be kind of hard, okay? So he has Moses teach the rich people back in Deuteronomy chapter 8 on how to live. So I think it's kind of cool these scriptures are paralleled and separated by thousands of years that Paul tells a young preacher, you know, these rich people need help Okay, in living. And then God tells Moses, hey, it's really harder to be rich. It's easier to live in tents than it is in nice houses. Okay, so you got to tell them how to do this. And guess what? We need that lesson so much today, especially in a place called America. So the first part then of 1 Timothy 6, 17, and we're going to break these verses up in little tiny segments. And each one, I mean, this is rich, guys. This is this is so rich because there's no guilt trip involved. At all. You know, it's just God saying, it's hard to be rich, okay? So this is how you do it. That's all it is. He's not asking for money. He's just saying, you know, being rich is hard, so I'm going to tell you how to do that. So he starts out by saying in the very first part of verse 17, he says, as for the rich in this present age. As for the rich in this present age. Now, you might be saying, first off, first, I love the fact he says, in this present age. Because that means that it could be back then, and it could be right now. It's in the present age, okay? All right, it's the present age. Present age. Sometimes you'll see a movie, and it's, it's made, and then, and then it's giving you a timeline when the movie's, you know, when the time is, the movie's set for. It's, it's like in this present age, right now, today, okay? So, so this is so applicable for then, and so applicable even for now. So it's really, really good. It's very cool. Okay, so so here we have uh, tell the rich people in this present age. Now, there's a couple of things that you know and I know, but I'm going to share them with you anyway because you need to know them. First off, no one likes to be called rich. No one likes to be called rich. How many of you um, remember the movie Driving Miss Daisy? Oh, yeah, several of you guys. Wasn't that a great movie? It really was. Uh, for those who didn't, it's about a a rich Jewish widow who lives in Georgia in the South in 19, late 40s, early 50s. That's when the movie takes place and moves forward into the 70s. But So we have a rich Jewish lady who finally gets old enough, and some of y'all know this story, who finally gets old enough where she can't drive anymore. And her son hires a chauffeur to drive her around. And the last thing she wants is a chauffeur, okay? But she's got one anyway. And his name is Hope. And they start out enemies, I mean literally butting heads. She doesn't want him there, and he needs the job, okay? But later develops this beautifully deep relationship and friendship. That's how the story ends. But in the beginning, it's really quite a conflict. And so he makes the mistake in casual in casual conversation about the fact, you know, I look, I'm the chauffeur, I'm here, your son's paying me, you know, because you need to get around 
He makes the mistake of telling her and calling her a rich Jewish woman. Whoa, she got fired up. Uh, Jessica Tandy is the actress, and she does a wonderful job. She goes, I'm not rich. Don't you call me rich. I'm not rich. And he goes, now, Miss Daisy, now, Miss Daisy, you know you're getting along good. Well, I may be getting along good, but I'm not rich. See, it's funny. There are certain things. You know, you could say, you know, you're fat, and you may not appreciate it, but it doesn't go all over you. But there are certain things that go all over us. Like, like if somebody says you're prideful, that just kind of goes all over you. You know, if, if, um, if somebody says um, you're, you're jealous, you're envious, you're just jealous, kind of goes all over us. Well, that's the way it is with rich. I don't know, can't explain it to you, but no one likes to be called rich. It's like, I'm not rich. You know, it kind of goes all over us. And so it's a big topic. It really is. In fact, you know, they actually did a survey that, that when something like this, these are close, you know, they started asking someone who made like twenty-five dollars or $30,000 a year what they considered to be rich. And they said, well, if I made $50,000 a year. And then they went to the $50,000 a year people and said, okay, so what would you consider rich? And they said $75,000. So they went to the $75,000 people and said, what would you consider rich? And I think they jumped up to one twenty-five. If I made $125,000 a year, I would be rich. And then the one twenty-five thousand people, if they were asked the same question, they jumped up to about one sixty. And it went on and on and on and on. You know, everybody thought somebody else was rich, not them. Not them. Well, here's the deal. Charles Schwab, the investment company, did a survey and took a survey and did some analysis and all that. And here's what they came up with. That if your net worth today is $2.4 million or more, you're rich. Okay? That's what Charles Schwab said. Okay? If you make $2.4 million or if your net worth is $2.4 million, you are wealthy. You are rich. Okay? That's what they said. And here's the deal. And here's my point is that every person in this room is rich. That we wrestle with it. I know, I know. Because you know, here's the deal. We don't feel rich. See, we may be rich, but Dwayne, I don't feel rich. Okay? Well, the bottom line is this. And I know, I know, I know, I know. But you know, if you make $32,000 a year, you're in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. Now, I know we're not in Africa and we're not in China and we're not in South America, but the bottom line is, in the world, if you make $32,000 a year, you're in the top 1% of wage earners in the entire world. You know, a lot of the chunk of the world today, and we see these folks in Africa, they live on 1 and 2 and $3 a day. Now, in America, to make you feel better, in America, um, if you make, you've got to make $421,000 to be in the top 1%. So that makes you feel a little bit better, you know, about the 1% thing. But the bottom line is what I really want you to believe is, is that every person in this room is rich. First off, we are rich spiritually. And we got God's grace. I don't care. I don't care what. You may be eating beans every day. But, man, if you got Jesus, you've got enough. We've been saying that a lot. If you got Jesus, you've got enough. You know, you may not have the fanciest car in town, but if you've got Jesus, that's enough. Your health may not be real good, but if you've got Jesus, that's enough. You may not be making but 10 or $12 an hour, but if you've got Jesus, you've got enough. So the bottom line is, when he says, you know, ask for the rich in this present age, it's really all of us in America today. So I want you to understand, please don't leave here going, well, that sermon went for me because I'm not rich. Well, you are. You are. And each one of us are accountable for whatever God puts in our hands, whether it's in the zillions or whether it's in the hundreds. It just doesn't matter. 
Now, Winston Churchill, I think, had a real grasp of this, about the fact that we're all responsible for what God puts in our hands. Here's what Winston Churchill said. We make a living by what we get. We make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. And there's a lot of truth in that, if you really think about it. You know, you and I both know, all you have to do is look at the sports world and look at Hollywood, and there's a lot of people who make a lot of money, and they are not happy. Their life, they, they don't have a good life. So Winston Churchill, I think, was right when he said, we make a living by what we get, we make a life by what we give. That is so true. You know, Andy Stanley said something very wise, too. Andy Stanley said this. He's a pastor in Atlanta. He says, the value of a life is always measured by how much of it is given away. The value of a life is always measured by how much of it is given away. You know, how many of y'all watch PBS? Anybody? Come on, come on. Y'all watch PBS? Yeah. Okay. You know, PBS, you know, either, usually it's before there's a show, they'll list all the major contributors, you know, and a lot of people I don't know, but like one that consistently pops up is the John D. Rockefeller Foundation. Now, John D.'s been gone a long time. He's been dead, but his name and legacy lives on because of one thing. The names like Vanderbilt and, and Carlisle, those different people, a lot of the people that made America, those rich guys, they weren't start out rich, they started out dirt poor, but they built America, and they became incredibly wealthy. I, I told you, I, I had about eight names, and they had one-sixth of the world's wealth at that time. Okay, so, so here's the deal. Here's the deal. A lot of them, including John D. Rockefeller, had a sacred, they believed it was a sacred trust that they used their wealth to help the world. They believed that they had a sacred trust, that God had entrusted them with this money, and they had a sacred trust to make sure that money made a difference in the world. That's what Andy Stanley's trying to say. The value of a life is always measured by how much of it is given away. And that leads us into our little story back in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Okay? We heard what Paul said, as for the rich in this present age, how does God start out his instruction to those of us to whom he has blessed. Keep it in mind, it's everybody in the room and everybody on the radio today, all right? Well, here's what Deuteronomy 8, 11 says. Now, again, keep in mind, Israel is about to win the lottery. Their life is going to improve incredibly, incredibly. They'll go from tents to houses, okay? Big deal. Here's what Deuteronomy 8, 11 says. Be careful. Hmm. That's unusual. Okay, here's the deal. Here's the deal. The instruction on how to handle their wealth begins with a warning. Because wealth is dangerous. It's, again, it's much easier to be poor than it is to be rich. And America struggles with this. Again, because so many of us are so much wealthier than the world. The, the kids, the guys on Africa, ask the ones who went to Africa. They don't struggle wearing dirty clothes and torn clothes. They're fine and content. Okay, But in America, we look around and see what other people have, and it feeds that discontent. I want more, I want more, I want more. So God starts this then because their lifestyle is fixed to improve dramatically with a warning. Okay, Be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God. And watch now, listen, listen. By failing to keep his commands, ordinances, and statutes that I'm giving you today. Here's what Moses says, and God speaking really. Here's what he says. Be careful of spiritual amnesia. There's a real chance that when you go into this better lifestyle, when you go in and you've got all this blessing that I'm fixing to give you, be careful you might have spiritual amnesia. 
you might be tempted to forget the Lord your God. Now, you know and I know that one of the ways we have spiritual or we have amnesia is you hit your head. I mean, there's been movies, books, and fact of life. A lot of people, considerable number of people, bump their heads hard. They wake up and they don't remember who they are. Okay? So, so how do we get spiritual amnesia? Well, we don't bump our heads. We bump our hearts. We don't bump our heads. We bump our hearts. Look how it's explained. Be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God by, here it is, by failing to keep his commands, ordinances, and statutes that I'm giving you today. When we start failing to keep God's commands, his laws, his statutes, it was true, by the way, it's true in Deuteronomy, it's true in the New Testament. It's true then, it's true in this age of grace. When we stop forgetting and stop living the way God wants us to live, we have a strange tendency to forget God. And by the way, I need to tell you this. Guess what? The more, you, the more it goes on, the more you forget. Spiritual amnesia is progressive. It's progressive. What starts out a little grows into something big. So it starts with a warning. Be careful that you don't forget God by failing to keep his commands and ordinances. Make sure you keep obedience to God in the forefront of your mind and your actions. And then he moves on to verse 17, the second part. The second part. He says this. I'm going to tie it together for us, okay? As for the rich in this present age, charge them, exhort them, encourage them. In fact, if you've got the King James or New King James, and probably ESV too, it, no, no, not ESV, but if you've got New King James or King James, command. Command. Command them. So exhort, encourage, or command them not to be haughty. Not to be prideful. Now, it's very easy as the blessings come for us to get prideful. Here's what I wrote down this morning. Nothing says me like money. Nothing says me like money. What do you mean, Dwayne? Nothing says, look what I've done, look what I've accomplished, like our ability to show our wealth. Now, I'm going to tell you later on, that's not a deal, okay, unless it gets to the deal in your heart. But, again, I've mentioned it several times. Cars, addresses, and labels. Nothing says, look what I've accomplished by the car, kind of car we drive, the kind of house we live in, and the labels that we wear. It's very, very important you understand that. So be careful that you don't become haughty. I still remember a story by Patrick Morley. And he talked about how that he would pull up. He had a very fancy European car. And how he would pull up at a traffic light. And then caught himself looking over at the Chevrolet sitting next to him. And in his heart he was going, I'm better than they are. He would pull up next to a Cadillac in his fancy European car and go, I'm better than they are. He wouldn't say that. He thought that. So be very, very careful that we don't become haughty by what God has given us. Because what we have is by God's grace. What we have is by God's grace. Now let's look and see. Let's look and see what Moses said. God said through Moses to the children of Israel when they won the lottery. Okay, let's go back now to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Here we go. When, it's going to happen, when you win the lottery, when God blesses you and you've got a lot of stuff, okay, 
When you eat and are full, and you build beautiful houses to live in, and your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold multiply, and everything else you have increases. See what I mean about the lottery? That is the lottery. They went from eating, again, keep in mind, man is one of my favorite stories. We're going to talk about it a little bit later, all right? But, but when you go from eating manna and you go in and you've got your choice, you've got, the, you've got the best buffet in town, you can have prime rib, you can have the biggest shrimp, you can have all these wonderful things that other people don't even know anything about, okay? You can eat the big steakhouses. I've never eaten at Chris Ruth's, but they say it's incredible, but it's going to cost you about 200 bucks to go eat there. All right? So you can do all that when that happens. Um, when you build beautiful houses, when you go from living in a tent and you've got a nice house. In fact, you've got a beautiful house. Be careful. He says, he says when your herds and your flocks grow large. Now, that would mean a lot to us, but let me put it in terms that you'll understand. When your stock portfolio explodes. You know, you know, again, cattle and, and sheep and oxen can die and you can lose it. And just like stock market goes south and you can lose it. But right now, he said, man, when your stock uh, portfolio explodes and your silver and gold, okay, that's your, that's your securities, okay? When, when you're able to amass more and more gold, which has the tendency, it seems, to increase, increase, increase in volume, okay? And everything else you have, you, went, you go from having a little to having a whole lot. You won the lottery, Again, keep in mind, most of us have. I can't say that enough. Okay? Here's what he says. Be careful. Isn't that strange? He didn't say, give it half to me. He didn't say, be sure you give your 10% to the storehouse. No. He just says, be careful. Be careful that your heart doesn't become proud. Because remember, nothing says me like wealth. Nothing says, look at me, like wealth. He goes on and says this. Don't become proud and you forget the Lord your God. We get so distracted by managing our wealth that our wealth starts managing us. See? He says, don't forget the Lord your God who brought... Now listen, this is really good. That brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of a place of slavery. Now here you go. Egypt in the Bible always represents the old life. You know, if you find yourself longing for the old life, the picture is wanting to go back to Egypt. The children of Israel said, we're tired of this wilderness. We, we want to go back and eat the onions and leeks. We like those taskmasters and their whips. It made no sense. And so, you know, God says, be careful. Don't forget that God freed you from the old life. And we do pretty good with that. Okay, but out of the place of slavery. See, there are other places of slavery than Egypt. Did you know anything can enslave you? Anything can. Sin can. Habits, pornography, lust, alcohol, pills, drugs. Sure, sure. But there are other things. We can become enslaved to what people think about us. You wonder why people carry an average of seventeen, eighteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 in unsecured credit card debt because they're trying to impress people that they don't even like. And the only way they can do that is by credit. By credit. So he said, there are other slaveries. There's other places of slavery besides Egypt. 
Be careful of those. Don't forget it's God's desire that we don't be enslaved. The only thing we should be enslaved to, and this the slavery of love, is the Lord Jesus Christ. The only thing we should be enslaved to is Lord Jesus Christ. And that leads us into the next part of verse 17, the third part. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. I'll read it again. Tell them not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. See, you can lose your wealth. Ask the folks who went through the Great Depression. There's not a lot of folks left from 1929. But men and women who are worth millions found themselves homeless and painless. You can lose your wealth. Remind them, don't put your hope in money. Don't put your money in your hope in wealth because you can lose it. Put it instead in God. Put it instead in God. Make sure your hope stays in God. And here's what I want you to get. Who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now listen to me. God does not say you have to move Montana, put on a white robe, and chant, and live in a hut. God says, just make sure your stuff don't own you. He gave us He richly, 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 richly provides us with everything to enjoy. God's not against stuff. God's against stuff that owns you. That's a good place for an amen. That makes all of us feel better. God is not afraid of stuff. He's not opposed to stuff. He gives it to us. But be careful that it doesn't own you. And believe me, you know when it does. You know when it does. That's not a big secret. I I copied this from somewhere. I wish I could give credit, but I can't. I just copied it. Let me read it to you. I think I've gotten the app, by the way. If you're going to put your security in something, if you're going to put your security in something, you need to put it in something that that can never be taken from you. So if you're going to put your security in something, you really need to put it in something that can never be taken from you. You. Then the author goes on, whoever it is. The author goes on and says, you can lose your health. You can, can't you? No matter how much your net worth is, you can get cancer like anybody else. No matter what your net worth is, you can lose your health like that. You can lose your spouse's health like that. Your children can lose their health like that. You can lose your health. You can lose your job. Oh, boy, don't we know about that. I'm part of that generation that said, if I loyally serve the company, the company will always take care of me. That's the way I was raised. Is that true today? Absolutely not. Many of you who work for the coal mines in the area know that's not true. So, you can lose your job. You can lose your good looks. And we kind of go, ha, ha, ha. Go to the gym. There are people who are pumping Nothing wrong with pumping, but they're pumping five hours a day. Why? Because their self-worth is put on how good they look. 
And guess what? Again, I started the amazing journey back on walking January 1st and promptly injured my heel. This week, I walked a mile a day and I was proud of it. I went from being able to walk five miles a day, five days a week, to walking one mile a day and thanking the Lord for that. You can lose your good looks. You can lose your family. If you put your security in another person, that person decides to take a hike. You can lose your family. You can lose your life. You can lose your mind. You can even lose your way. But God is never lost. And God will never let you go. You've got to... No matter how much you get it right or how much you get it wrong, if you're a child of God, God will never leave you nor forsake you. You need to know that. If you mismanage your money, if, if, if even money becomes a wrong priority in your life, God's not going to say, I'm done with you. That's just not in his vocabulary or his character. He's always your father. He's always your Abba. Abba Father. Always is. So what did God tell the folks back in Deuteronomy when they won the lottery? Well, let's look. We're looking at verse number uh, 15 and 16 of Deuteronomy chapter 8. He led you, he led you through the great and terrible wilderness with his poisonous snakes and scorpions. So, so he calls them to remember. Do you remember, he's basically saying this, do you remember what God did for you? Remember that God led you? Remember the poisonous snakes and how God delivered? Remember the scorpions and how God delivered? Do you remember how he led you through the wilderness? The encouragement today is the same thing. Do you remember the hard times? Do you remember the times you didn't think you were going to make it and God delivered? Listen to this. He leadeth me. Oh, blessed thought. Oh, words with heavenly comfort fraught. Whatever I do, wherever I be, still tis God's hand that leadeth me. Sometimes miss scenes of deepest gloom. Sometimes where Eden's bowers bloom. By water still over troubled sea, still tis his hand that leadeth me. And the chorus goes, He leadeth me, He leadeth me. By His own hand, He leadeth me. His faithful follower I will be. For by his hand he leadeth me. So God's advice to us is not to remember the times when you need him most. He was there. He was there. He did not leave you. He did not forsake you. He goes on and says, Through a thirsty land there was no water. And he provided water out of the flinty rock. Do you remember the times when your life was so dry and so thirsty and through God you drank deeply? When it seemed like you're going to die of thirst and then God just brought the refreshing water into your life. How about this? He fed you. No, he led you. He fed you in the wilderness with manna. 
which your fathers had not known. I love this story. You know, God said, here's the deal. Every morning, when you go out there, there's going to be little honey buns, little clumps of ambrosia sitting on the ground. Every morning. And all you got to do every day is you got to go out and pick it up, okay, and take it back, and there's going to be, you can get enough for the whole day. And you don't have to work for it. Just go get it. That's all. Now, don't get more than a day's worth because it'll spoil. Except for on the day before the Sabbath, then you get two days worth. So every day they would go out and say, look, look what God provided. And they would pick up the manna and take it back. And as, as they picked it up, they knew that God was there when they needed him. And God was good and God was faithful. And when he says, you know, you remember the wilderness with manna, but your fathers didn't know, he fed you. And the whole point was to go out there and say, God is faithful and God is good. And that's what God was teaching. And he wants us today to remember that God is faithful and God is good. Don't trust your wealth. Your wealth is not faithful and your wealth is not good. God is faithful and God is good. He went on and said this. He said, I did this to humble you and test you. To teach you. Listen. To teach you I need you and I trust you. When they went out every day to get the food, they didn't have a Walmart down the road. So when they went out to get the food, they said, we need God and we trust God. We need God and we trust God. And God reminds us of that. No matter what your banking account says, no matter what your retirement account says, no matter what your government check is every, every month, we need to always remember, we need God and we trust God. We need God and we trust God. We need God and we trust God. And it goes on in verse 17. It's just powerful. He says, you might say to yourself, particularly us Westerners, you might say to yourself, my power And my own ability has gained me this wealth. In other words, I have this wealth. I have these, remember they won the lottery. We have these new houses. We have all these herds. We have those silver and gold. We got all this really good food now. And it's because of my power and my ability to gain wealth. We say the same thing, don't we? I got the degree. I got the job. Married right. Went to school. All that. My ability. Oh, boy, no. Not if you're a Christ follower. He goes, but, but, but. He says, remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth. In order to confirm his covenant, he swore to your fathers as it is today. God gives us the ability to get wealth. Would somebody say amen there? You really need to remember that. Because we have this real, that's that haughty thing. We, we get kind of proud and we say, no, 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 I did it. I made the right business decision. I chose the right career. Okay, it's me. It's me. No. It's God. It's God. It's God. And that's why he wants us to remember and wants us to trust him. Remember him and trust him. So that's where we're going to stop today. And I don't know if we'll get the rest of this later on or not. Uh, But if you've got the sermon app, you can see what's left um, there in the message. But that's where we need to stop today. So I hope you'll take this as a challenge today. I love the fact, and correct me after service, I'm wrong, that God didn't say this sermon's all about I want your money. 
It wasn't. It just wasn't. It's about God loving us enough to tell us to be careful. To be careful. And I need to tell you this, as you know, Brother David can, can affirm. You know, the folks in Central Asia who are fighting for their lives because they're Christians, this, this isn't as important to them. Those of you who have been to the islands of, of Lake Victoria, this is not a big issue for them. But because God blessed us to live in one of the richest nations in the world, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And the crazy part is, you know, if you're one of those ones that net worth of $2.4 million or more, or, or if your income is, is $1,000 a month, the danger is the same. The danger is the same. That's why God put it the way he did. The danger is the same. So your Heavenly Father loves you so much, he's just saying this, be careful. Be careful. Don't let your wealth own you. Make sure you always own your wealth. Own your wealth. Would you bow your heads, please? Today, first off, and I know I didn't touch on it very much. I I touched on it briefly, though, when I said this. No matter what our checking account says, we're rich. And we're rich because of God's amazing grace. See, this is a really good illustration. If I was today worth $10,000, but guaranteed, guaranteed, nothing could change it, in 10 more years, I was going to be a multi, multi, multi millionaire. No matter what my condition is today, I would look 10 years down the road because no one could change and say, I am rich. Well, no matter what your financial situation is to hear, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, there is coming a day when you're going to be incredibly rich. It just won't be here, maybe. It'll be there. Heaven is a reality. And God wants you to share heaven with Him. And it's not by what you can do for God. It's what God can do for you today. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a Roman cross because the wages of sin was death. And so He paid the price for our sins. And I'll be standing down front this morning and I would love to tell you about Jesus. I would love to tell you how, me personally, how I had this huge sin debt and by His grace He forgave me and guaranteed me that one day I would go to heaven, not based on my performance, but on what Jesus did and my faith in that and my decision to follow him in that path. So I'll be standing down front with that. And today, would you ask just God to speak to your heart? Take, ask God, hey God, what do I need to take home from this today? What do I need? I wish we could have got to part two. I don't know if we'll get to it next week. I don't know what we're going to do. But part two is just so good. Talks about being rich and, and, and you know in good works, generous and willing to share. It's so Jesus like. It's so Jesus like. So, but if you're here today and you know this is an issue in your life that that sometimes you have a tendency to trust wealth and not God, things and not God. You have a tendency to let things own you. Um, why don't you talk to the Father about that today? The same grace that saved you. And deliver you from that too.
I want you to know that. And then you know what I found out about God and the Holy Spirit? It may not be anything I touched on, but God just spoke to your heart today. If I can help you, I'll be down front. If you want to come down front and pray, we got some folks to be glad to pray with you today. You know, this is a very unique day because of the snow. And the fact that you're here is pretty cool. It just could be that God put you here on a very special mission and a very special purpose. It just could be. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of sharing today. You know, you're an incredible God. I, I'm pretty amazed, well, first off, that you even love us. That's pretty amazing. But then that you care enough to make sure that wealth and things and stuff don't own us. Because wealth and things and stuff are terrible taskmasters. And they never satisfy. They may for a day, a month, or a year, but never. But you satisfy forever. And you don't want us to be in bondage to things and stuff and money. So, Lord, thanks for putting these warnings in your word today. So, for my friend who might be here without Jesus, I want to ask, Father, that you would call them to the cross. Call them to Jesus today. And for all of us, Lord, that know Jesus, that we be certain that our wealth doesn't own us, that we own and boss our wealth. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.